Welcome back to State of the Nonprofits. Today's episode is part two of a conversation with John Traschetti, Executive Director of the Literacy Coalition of the Permian Basin. If you haven't had a chance to listen to part one, please check out that episode released on Thursday, June the 23rd before coming back to part two. So if a nonprofit wants to be a part of that village, if they're already doing work in those arenas, you know, what is it that you have expectations of them and how can they be a partner for the Literacy Coalition? Well, because of, we're very blessed with philanthropy, you can join the coalition for free the first year. And then the, the second year you would be there. And hopefully you see in that first year the value add. We had a literacy summit as our big annual thing that went through this year, at least we went through the needs assessment, but we're going to offer, you know, continuing education. There's going to be micro grants available. And so if it's worth joining and you get a $2,500 or a $5,000 micro grant, it certainly paid for itself in that way. The political advocacy and the legislative advocacy, just raising awareness about the issue. We talked about resources, whether they're monetary, materials, curriculum, volunteers, which I know that we've had a lot of discussion. Uh, in this building about the the difficulty for volunteers, but we may be to a point where some of these organizations apply for a micro grant to pay a tutor. You know, maybe we're past the point of trying to cultivate volunteers. We're bringing in people that have the that experience, and that's well dollars well spent. So any any and all. Again, it's not it's not either or or one of the three. It's a menu, and you can order anything you want off the menu, and hopefully that our membership sees the the value in being a member of the coalition. Well, and I appreciate the structure of that relationship that you guys are trying to put into place because it helps so much when a nonprofit comes into a collaboration or comes into a coalition like that to understand what expectations are of all parties because I think that's where some of us struggle when we're getting into collaboration. We struggle when we get into those kind of situations of knowing, well, what do I have to bring to the table? What am I risking? Sure. What are you risking in being a part of that? I mean, I really see it as almost just like a trade association. I don't want to say union because we're in Texas, but, you know, it's one of those where we really want to be the benefit to the member. We need the membership, obviously, to be sustainable, and we want that, although the, the membership fee is not cost prohibitive. I mean, we know we're dealing with people who are kind of living hand to mouth and raising money and, and really streamlined in staff. You may have a staff of one. You may not have any paid staff. And so we, we didn't want it to be prohibitive, but we did want people to feel like that they had some skin in the game. So that's why the first year is free because we want to be able to prove ourselves and say, hey, we hope that we can add value and we want feedback. You know, what are the things that you need from us to do? Do you need specific CEs or professional development? We really want to be that information maven. We want to be the, the place where people think, I have a question about literacy in this region. They think of the coalition and they call us and we either have the answer or know who would have the answer. Clients could call and say, I'm trying to get my CDL. Well, that's not my area of expertise. Mr. T's not helping you with that, but we can connect you with Midland College because we know that they do have that area of expertise. And so we want to be able to place those people with the people that are already doing the work and doing it well, but build out. What does that look like? What are the offerings? Um, and, I, and I was surprised. I mean, I've been in, you know, literacy most of my adult life, but even when we started this work, I was surprised at the number of people that are working in the literacy space that I'd never heard of in yeah. this region. Yeah. Well, that's, and you know, I think again, that comes back to the comment you made earlier that we as nonprofits are, we struggle to tell our own story. Sure. And that is, that's, Part of what we want to do here at State of the Nonprofits is, is help tell those stories. And it's part of just the work that we do at MSS. It's the work that Nonprofit Management Center is doing is to help 
nonprofits be able to tell people what they're doing and why it's so important? We stay in our lane. We tend to just stay in our lane and keep our head down. We don't want to rock the boat. We don't want to be, you know, we're so worried about the next funding cycle or the, you know, what does the data say? And we really, I think, are going to have to, and nonprofits as a whole, have to push ourselves out of our comfort level. And if you if you come from a background like some of us do that wasn't nonprofit, it's not as foreign for us. We feel like that, you know, we bring that. But if you if you've only ever worked nonprofit, it can be difficult to kind of get out of that rut and and really push into because it just, just feels foreign. Yeah. Well and I think we all struggle with finding ways to better assess the data to be able to share that with with our funders, with our community, with our clients, yeah. you know, and that's one thing I think we're all pushing towards opportunities for us to collect more data. And if we get into, we live it. And so it, it the, the challenge we have, or I've had recently is how do you make it digestible, you know, for just the guy you're talking to in the checkout line at the grocery store? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, your board gets it because they're on your board and you and your staff and all the others. And so you, there, you get not complacent, but, you know, you feel like that, oh, everyone gets this, you know, but if that's the first time you're really looking at it, I mean, people look me in the face and go, T, what are you talking about? There's a, a, a problem with reading. I mean, it's, and so you really have to like bring it back to basics. How do people get to that point? So you have to explain that. Well, some of it is comprehension. It may be English is your second language. Certainly that's a challenge we face in this part of the world. Um, they probably can read and write and may have degrees in Spanish, but English is their second language, and so the low literacy is really about reading comprehension for them. Mm -hmm. But there are individuals, a lot more than people want to admit, that get through school without the necessary literacy skills. And again, you and I can sit down sometime and have an entire other podcast about that. But, you know, social promotion is an issue. And post-COVID has only exacerbated that. And so you have people that are graduating high school and getting to adulthood that can't read above a third grade level. And I promise you that most of the documents that you interface with are written above a third grade level, a job application. And then we're not even talking about the digital literacy necessary to go online to fill out the job application. I'm old enough to remember when you walked into the place and and got a paper application. These people are having to go online. So there's another barrier. They don't have the literacy skills to actually fill it out, but they don't have the digital literacy skills to even get on to find it. Citizenship. You think that that form is written at a third grade level? Absolutely not. Those government forms are the worst. Voter registration. I mean, it just goes on and on. CDL is a perfect example. We talked about that earlier. Yeah. A lot of these guys have the the skill to drive the truck. They don't have the literacy skills to pass the written portion. And we know in this part of the world, especially with frack trucks and water trucks and everything, that CDL drivers are at a premium. And so if we can help these guys, help these individuals raise their literacy levels where they can pass that exam – we know they have the skills to, to do the driving. And so it just snowball. Literacy and reading is the building block upon which all other skills are built. For me, that's a period full stop. So whether it's math and sciences or driving a truck or whatever the case may be, you don't realize how much you read every day. Street signs when you're driving, you know, how do you, 
I mean, just anyway, it just it goes on and on. Well, I think that's important, though, and I to just to drill into that. I looked through the study, and there are levels of reading. There's like a one, sure. a two, three. How kind of break that down quickly? Yeah, if there's one issue that I have with kind of the adult literacy space versus what we would say for students is that they're that it's not a apples to apples. I wish that there was one standard for how people measure literacy. I understand why there isn't, but. So adult literacy has one, two, level one, level two, and level three. Level one, which is the lowest, is essentially a second or third grade level. I wish everything went by grade level because most people understand that they, they were in school or they have kids, so they kind of get that ballpark what that is. Yeah. So when we talk about low literacy levels, we're talking about a second or third grade level. So when you see level one in the report, that's where that is. Level two is like fifth, sixth, and so a little more advanced. You're probably getting by a little more efficiently, but certainly not high level documents, you know, engineering. And we see a lot of that in the um, Perryman report that talked about the the workforce and the economic impact of low literacy. He really drills into where we're going to need over the next 20 years, by 2050, the population of the Permian Basin is could potentially, you know, double. It's increasing by like 73%. And the number of higher level workers necessary for the oil and gas energy and, and all of the jobs that are going to be necessary. Really, we need level two and level three workers. Getting people from illiterate or low literate up one is certainly a priority for us because that's where the greatest need is. But we got to move those people in the middle too uh, so they can get that they kind of hit a glass ceiling at their job so they can push past that and get a supervisory role or a more responsible role where you can make some more money. Anyway, level two is about fifth or sixth grade. Level three is what we would consider, you know, advanced. So, you know, high school or beyond. Okay. And so that's one of the things I was looking at. They were saying in the Perryman report, 50,000 more workers are the yeah. expectation by 2050. And 2050 seems like a long way away. But it ain't. You blink. Yeah. I don't know how we got to 2022. I don't either. This is the Jetsons. I remember growing up thinking that 2020s were going to be like the Jetsons have flying cars. And we haven't hit that yet. I but I was very disappointed that I did not have my very own DeLorean. Right now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> I wish we had a little flying DeLorean. It's just what I need in my life. For real. The, 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 the data for the 2050 and needing that many more workers doesn't even take into account the shortfall we have currently. I mean, if you talk to the energy companies and or even the restaurants, especially when we're in a boom, you know, we're taking we're taping this before Memorial Day weekend. Oil's at one hundred and ten dollars a barrel. Everyone is needing workers and and it just is across the board. And so it's going to be a challenge if our industry and our economy and our region continues to advance like it does, because we already have geographic challenges built in. Some people don't want to live out here. And so then you compound that with the education needs that some of these companies, it's it's going to be a, so workforce development is a, is a huge piece of what we're doing at the coalition as well, really partnering with the energy company. The PSP is a very important partner for us. Those people are already kind of there. How do we collaborate with them to get into them during the work day to begin to improve their literacy skills because they're growing their own. And so they're going to be interested in that. That way they, they can, you know, grow, improve their skills, train them locally, keep them local and, and not have to continue to just fight and scrape for, for those workers. Sure. Well, and literacy beyond just the economy piece of it, which is huge, has such an impact on all of us as we're driving down the road mm -hmm. and there's a driver who maybe doesn't understand the, you know, the traffic signs or or the road work signs, you know, yeah. and managing those kinds of things. We have to think about 
just your you, your prescription bottle. Like you go to the doctor and he gives you a prescription. You don't know what that says. You go to the pharmacist. You pick it up. You're embarrassed to ask. I mean, that's a that's a health risk. Or if it's your child's prescription, or if it's your child's homework that come home and you can't help, you know, help them at the level that you want to help them. Um, it just touches lives in so many ways and and adversely affects the community. In so many ways, as taxpayers, the data tells us that, you know, 85 percent of people that are on some sort of government assistance either are high school dropouts or low literate. Improving literacy skills for individuals improves the the greater community. You know, it doesn't tax the healthcare system, the court system, the social services, the you know, the food bank. I mean, all of those things don't have as much of a burden when people are more self-sustaining and reading and the ability to read and, and to be functionally literate is is the hugest part of, of beginning to turn that around. Well, and I do think, you know, having not ever really seen data about our region, we know, you know, just intrinsically that there are challenges in our community. We know that we have people who are English as a second language that are learning or, or struggling to find access to be able to learn. It's really not, it's not a choice that these people are making. It's not a choice that they've made. There are, there have been barriers that have created this challenge in our community. That's exactly right. There are so many factors. It's not one thing. If it was one thing, people that are a lot smarter than me would have already fixed this issue, but it's, it can be so many things or a combination of so many things, socioeconomics, demographics, geographic location. Your, your mother was sick and you had to drop out to help take care of them. You have childish. I mean, yeah, there's just so many things that, that go into how you would get there. And one day you look up and you're an adult and you don't have the literacy skills that you, that you need. Um, absolutely. It's, it's never one thing. It's always, you know, a combination of things, which, which makes it a challenge to address because you've got to address a, a number of things as well to try to address the one problem. The thing about literacy that you were that you kind of mentioned is is that it's fixable. Mm-hmm. Like we know we know what the solution is. It's not cancer, you know, where we're, we're kind of feeling our way through. It's the lack of the ability to read. We know how to fix this problem. Mm-hmm. It's just addressing all of those other issues that create that you know, unique storm where someone ends up not being able able to read. So, yeah, this that's why this is different from other things is that we know how to fix it yeah. and, and we have the ability and we have the tools. I'll also say in their report, there's a heat map, for lack of a better word, that shows nationally mm-hmm. kind of where the lowest quartile in the country for literacy rates. And it's all the usual suspects that you would think, you know, along the coast, um, along along the border, Appalachia, the Mississippi Delta, and then right there is the Permian Basin also highlighted. What I would challenge us with is, is that we are uniquely positioned to address this where some of those other regions don't have, or it's much more challenging for them to address it because they may not be as um, blessed with you know, the environment that they're in. We have the human resources. We have the monetary resources because of kind of where we live in the world, where some of those more economically depressed areas, it's 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 an added challenge. And so when people ask, you know, why you take this on, it's because we feel like that we're uniquely positioned where others aren't yeah. to try and take it on. Um, not that it great work isn't happening in those other places, of course. but um, 
we are better positioned maybe to uh, address some of those challenges than some of those other places in the country. We are economically strong for the most part. We have a philanthropic community that is astounding. Yes. And then we have people who have the ability to step into those gaps and try to remove some of those barriers. So I agree with you. I think for more than just literacy, for so many community needs and challenges. We have all those resources. We just need to find the people that are ready to drive those buses to make those resources available. A lot of philanthropy. Yeah, there's a lot of philanthropy. There's just a lot of really good people in the community, whether they want to work in nonprofit or volunteer in nonprofit that really want to make change. Because especially with literacy, if you are able to put these solutions into place and you're able to move these, move that needle forward, then the ramifications of that are huge because then adults are able to support their children and Mm -hmm. those children will graduate from high school with opportunities ahead of them that will just to your point snowball and just continue to grow and that's what makes our our, uh, part of the world unique you know because of the geographic isolation if we didn't do it it didn't get done yeah you know if you didn't have the community center or the the community theater or the indoor, you know, pool recreation area or whatever the case may be. I mean, if the community didn't decide that that was a priority and we want to do it, it wasn't happening. And so we just have to decide that, you know what, we're going to educate the community and we're going to make this a community priority or community issue, move that to the front burner. And we're going to work to address it and, and really make an impact on people's lives. This is such a great conversation. I know we could continue just... We absolutely. We just, I'm just getting warmed up. I know, I know. Last thoughts, John. I just think that education in general, and I don't want to get too political, but our community is, is really kind of trying to decide how we are and what we're going to address. We've seen several school bonds fail recently. Education seems to be a wedge issue during elections, but it's so important that we talk about literacy and education outside of the education space, that we uh, see how it impacts our community and and that it is a social issue. And I think if we can reframe that narrative, we've made a lot of headway because then the conversation is so much easier about why and, and how. You know, that's the that's the heavy lift early. It's all heavy lifts. <laughs> there's a lot of job security in that in that report for me. Um, there's a lot of work to be done. But you know, we, we just have to change the way we're talking about it. The biggest challenge is acknowledging you have a problem. And as a community, that can be hard, too. But our community has a problem when it comes to low literate adults and where our reading level is. It's We can do better. And, you know, a lot of people probably think we are in a better place. And so that's why it's not an issue. So we have to really educate them as to what the problem is and let them know that, you know, we're going to we're going to tackle this and improve our community. Well, I'm excited about the work that you're doing. I know for me personally, I'm grateful that I had the opportunities to discover books and engage in books and escape through books and all the other things that that books and literacy allows me to do as a person, as a professional, um, and what I can pass on to my children. And so I think the work that you're doing is just incredible. I'm really excited to see the outcome of that. And I'm really grateful for your time today, John. Thank you so much for coming. I'm glad. Thank you so much for having me.